0: How's it going, everybody? On this episode, I'm gonna be talking with Ben and my brother about early season food sources. We talk about a bunch of different examples, but we try to focus mostly on big woods, but we try to mostly focus on finding food sources in the timber. We talk a lot about acorns, different types of oak trees, and when they drop their acorns, other types of browse, and how we find those places on a map. So hopefully, if you're planning on doing some hunting, During the early season, you can use some of these tips and tactics to try to find some hot feeding sign in the areas that you're hunting. Before we get into the podcast, I wanted to let you guys know that we can help you save 10% off of all bear archery products. So if you go over to beararchery.com, you can see all the bows that they have to offer. So make sure you check out Bear Archery if you're in the market for a new bow this season. Also, check out Go Wild. If you check the description of this podcast or you visit downloadgowild.com, you can check out the free social community where nothing is censored and your photos are encouraged. Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing trophies, doing gear reviews, and inviting friends. And as you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too, such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. And if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. And if you wanna use those $10 on the Go Wild store, we can help you save an additional 10% if you use our code THP at checkout. The Go Wild store is pretty sweet. They got tons of stuff that we use all the time when we're out in the field hunting. So make sure you take advantage of that deal to help save you some money. All right, guys, let's talk early season food sources. Hopefully that keeps happening. Does that mean you're supposed to get new windshield wipers when it starts making noises? Well, it's just because the windshield's, like, dry now. Well, yeah, because I use my wipers. (laughs) Uh, What? (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Wait, what? We're driving. We're on our way to meet up with Doug, and we're going elk hunting but today we're gonna talk about deer hunting. We decided that going into the October season, food sources would be a good topic, Big Woods food sources specifically. And we have a few different examples from seasons past, but I think the reason the topic got brought up originally was there's just so many variables in the timber that can make deer move to different locations. And it's been pretty eye-opening for me reflecting on the past several seasons now and just looking at how different uh you know the 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 food sources have been and, and how much that dictates where the deer are so for example one year you might find deer in a place like crazy and the next year are we gonna get a head-on nope dang but close <laughs> passers man oh, they got it passers <laughs> Western passers—it's a—it's a—it's a crazy thing. A lot of lot of risks being taken out here. But he uh,
1: looks like he's about to go over the line to the right. Oh, somebody oh, else is passing. Jeez! <laughs> <was crazy>. Whoa! <laughs> yeah. Two passers. Two Not passers.
0: Good. One riding the shoulder. That guy was from New Jersey that passed. Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, New Jersey. Man, is guys. Dirt. <sighs> I those New Jersey guys, they don't know how to drive. <laughs> <laughs> if I know one thing. <laughs> Says every like everyone from every neighboring state, right? It's like I feel like Ohio is one where it was always like, Illinois people, man. Mm. You know. And it's just Oh yeah. Illinois Michigan drivers. People, yeah. Mi- Illinois people are probably saying the same thing about like, <laughs> oh, yeah. wherever. But you know, at the end how of the it day. Goes, everybody's doing it on these straight two lanes <laughs> yeah at the I end guess. of the day stay in your lane go the speed limit and you'll probably be all right keep your eyes on the road yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so recording that or editing that podcast with josh that there's m- multiple clips and still frames that he has of josh looking at you looking at the road <laughs> like you're looking at the road and he's driving just like
2: <laughs> <laughs> no then we
0: miss the didn't we miss the clip where he like almost hit the wall <laughs> yeah we definitely were just about to record and yeah he he about hit the solid cement ball
2: yeah <laughs> just looking at the hill yeah he was I def- mean we were
0: talking about the hill yeah so he almost drove to it <laughs> back to food sources here <laughs> is that not what we were talking about <laughs> <laughs> look at all these pronghorn sorry guys we're getting distracted a ton of pronghorn get a clip for the people Ben oh shit what I think about is a challenge for a hunter if you get too locked into a spot because one year they may be in an area and the next year they may not be there at all just because some subtle food source changes or maybe they're on one side of the ridge one year on the other, you know, the next or bottom versus the ridge top And I guess the one year that always comes to mind was the the old scarlet oak year and that's i guess just to get the ball rolling on the on the topic it was interesting because that season we didn't necessarily see any concentrated food source or or sign um in october in october and into the early part of november Mm
3: -hmm.
2: and
0: then we'd hunted and or we hadn't found it right and we hunted then in iowa you had a tag that year in iowa we went there left it for I don't know probably two or three weeks and then came back and all of a sudden it was like the switch was flipped where in November right about the time we left those scarlet oaks started dropping their acorns Mm -hmm. but the deer weren't really hitting them yet but by the time we made it back it was like that's where all the concentrated sign was Mm -hmm. was all around that it made bedding areas seem to shift I mean there was all kinds of changes that had happened just in those two or three weeks and I think you know, heading into October, you could be dealing with something similar and just kind of keeping your eye on potential changes is pretty important. Mm-hmm. And then the next year, something completely different happened with the chestnut oaks, which I guess I didn't really get to experience that because I came in November, late November, and they were either germinated or they had all been eaten up to that point. But like, what was your guys' experience that year?
2: Um, they fell earlier. Mm-hmm and or at least we saw the deer using it earlier mm-hmm. and then was that the year that he shot the buck yep okay, down yeah. at the bottom yeah okay um which generally the chestnut oaks are on the ridge top yep. the upper half of the hill mm-hmm. with the points and steeper rockier sections so that was just a trend we noticed and probably just looked looked at acorns as a trend just because of the year before mm-hmm. um you know the next year white oaks were really important the following year which had been last year i think do you feel like
0: white oaks get cleaned up pretty quickly because i feel like some on the of years, right year yeah, yeah. Where but there's like not last a lot year there was a crap load of them yeah
2: at least where we hunted and it seemed like oh, like even into you know mid-november they were still in those areas and
0: i mean it just could have been a bumper crop yeah it's interesting too though like uh the red oaks, and we say scarlet oaks, but that was like the the specific variation. But I think you'd get the same thing with red oaks, where you can get late season food sources with those as well, mm-hmm. which I think is something that was interesting too. That season, we saw that all the way into Georgia when we went down and hunted Georgia that year. The scarlet oaks was the same thing. That's where they were concentrated, was around those trees. Mm-hmm. Cause they were dropping the most acorns, and then like since then, I've not seen that even close to happening. Like, mm-hmm. not I haven't seen that much concentrated sign in the big woods since that year, yeah. And that's been whatever two seasons ago, so it's pretty interesting. And I mean, I think there's a lot
2: more, certainly, other years we'll find something like a I mean, on the right year beach, mm-hmm. you know, not like an oddball, or you know, hunting an area where there's just a lot of beach or a lack of, yeah oaks dropping in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, but being able to pick up on that and notice what that sign looks like currently. Mm-hmm. So like we go there and we're scouting through a, you know an area that has a bunch of black oaks and we're seeing that fresh feeding sign. Mm-hmm. We keep seeing that in different parts of that public area. Mm-hmm. Picking up on that trend earlier would be super helpful.
0: And when we talk about finding feeding sign, what we notice in Leaf matter is just a lot of turned over ground. It's almost like turkey scratching, but if you look into that turned over leaf in the third, there's actually deer tracks in it. Mm-hmm. And I think that I didn't value that as much as I do now when I was hunting high deer density areas. Mm-hmm. So I think it can be more generalized there because there's just so many deer. Mm -hmm. Like, it's kind of obvious that these trails are, you you know, let's put it this way. You can look at a trail versus turned over leaves. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, this trail's just hammered. There's tons of tracks on it where these examples that we're referencing, there might be like a 20-yard section where you can see a defined trail, but otherwise the deer are just meandering. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of a... um, Another indicator. Yeah, and just a unique... A unique part about hunting big woods low deer density areas it's not like it's not very trail based or it's not like really obvious a lot of times and that's just been a learning curve for me for sure Mm -hmm. like i always you know we always reference the day that we ended up shooting that buck that we bumped and we've i've talked about this so many times that i don't want to go through the whole whole story necessarily but we bumped the buck in an area where we anticipated there being the Scarlet Oaks. Bumped them into a different, onto a different ridge where we also anticipated there to be more of the Scarlet Oaks. Made a loop around him, found fresh sign there, figured he was headed there. Ultimately he did and we got him. When I think back on that, the thing that I remember having a light bulb moment of that day was, it's not gonna look like what I want it to or it has in other places that I've hunted. Like, these three rubs that aren't necessarily smoking hot fresh mm. are going to have to be good enough because this is the best <laughs> sign that we ever see you know? yeah. where on the other hand if you're finding a, a good feed tree like I remember one time I was in Iowa in uh, either right before season or like within the first week or two of season so October late September we see this huge white oak tree with tons of buck rubs around the whole tree And it's just like well this is a feed tree yeah i mean no brainer yeah but you're not going to see that if you have a lower deer density and it's just comparing the sign that you've seen in other places in that general you know region of the the country that you're hunting and comparing it to what you're seeing right now so it's like if you if you're usually not seeing any rubs in a few tracks then three rubs is pretty dang good you know so i think that's kind of interesting it sounds like it
1: sounds like my only experiences in northern minnesota like when you say that it sort of felt felt like a light bulb for me where i was like oh yeah that is kind of like always what it felt like and that's what ended up happening when Mm -hmm. we shot that one me and my buddy ryan Mm -hmm. is like we finally found a sign like the rub and like the tree that still or shrub that still had some food on it and of course it happened Mm -hmm. that's sweet so what was the food like what was the shrub i don't even remember what that was but we were seeing a lot it's funny i didn't think about it till we started talking about this Mm -hmm. because i just don't think i think like the same way that you guys guys do about this kind of stuff but we were actually seeing a lot of them in like bogs where there were still cranberries Mm. and i wonder if that is because i know they they're eating the berries up there i Mm -hmm. mean there's such a big season of them that's probably like a huge way to put on weight before the winter and then those cranberries are more like that fall bloom or I guess I don't know what you say with they're like producing fruit in the fall yeah um super sporadic but we were seeing most sign in this little boggy stretch and then like that's where we ended up getting that one mhm it's probably exactly what that is
2: yeah it's like yeah. a hot
1: the timely food source well yeah. we saw and and the day before he shot that one we had seen like a bigger eight point probably the biggest buck i'd ever seen in the woods there like on that box so oh really
0: i guess i didn't know that you guys yeah. did see a bigger one?
1: Oh yeah like the day before i mean nothing crazy you know but like by northern minnesota standards like a pretty good buck yeah it was cool yeah we just weren't That's... you know weren't ready for it and it wasn't in the right spot too despite having a rifle (laughs) when you think it would
0: be like easy no matter what right but yeah that's cool i that that area fascinates me too because it is different than anything that we've hunted and i mean i hunted northern minnesota last year for the first time and while it's not exactly what you hunted there's some similarities and come on thing, don't talk to us about where we're going I get gas. Yeah. Probably I guess sure. we're gonna have to pause this. <laughs> yeah, it's just us. We're just headphoning. <laughs> yeah, we're just all we're all gaming. <laughs> Don't mind us. Don't mind us. We're just gaming. All right. Do you guys remember? We were talking about Minnesota. And Logan yeah.
2: was making up stories about. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I made that story up. <laughs> you were
1: gonna. <laughs> <laughs> you were going to go off of it. <laughs> it would almost be
0: helpful if we could replay that. I think I do remember exactly where I was going. Okay. Where, where, like, where I hunted with Keith and Nick is there wasn't oaks on that landscape either. But it had a lot of aspen yeah. and just, like, really uh, marshy, boggy ground. Yeah. And it was interesting because the food sources just didn't look like what i'm used to seeing so what we did notice was anywhere there was um marshes seemed like the deer were bedding there but as far as food sources go i still don't necessarily know that i ever really pinned anything down where it was like that's definitely it you know it's just alder i don't know if they even eat that stuff i don't know if they
1: do like that's that maybe is what ryan shot that one on but i can't like it you know I could identify Alder, but I just don't remember because it was so in the moment. I was looking at him through binoculars trying to decide if it actually <laughs> had spikes or not. Um, and so I wasn't thinking about any of that stuff, right? Yeah. Um, but that was late. I mean, that was November 12. Mm-hmm. There was snow on the ground. That It was like in a snowstorm. Mm-hmm. So, like... I, even then, I think it was probably unusual to see those cranberries still holding on like well, I they think, were.
0: I think when you get snow, though, that's definitely going to push up their opportunity, right? Like, actually off the ground, mm. where they're now feeding on stuff that's up woody browse more or less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. But I think
1: then, a lot of times, they just spend all their time up there, like, digging. Yeah, Like, there's so much... I've seen so many deer just digging and digging, and I feel like there's just not that much right yeah like past that time it starts to get pretty
0: dire for them but that's a pretty easy sign to pick up on right yeah
1: wherever there's any any browse available it's probably going to be yeah pretty totally
0: pretty dug up and flipped over kind of like when you're finding the acorns too or the leaves are turned over it's the same thing but i guess maybe dialing it back to early season A couple other things too that we've mentioned that we've noticed over the years is concentrations in like grassland habitat versus the oaky habitat or not even grasslands but like more of a broadleaf food source than acorns where Mm -hmm. there's so much talk all the time about acorns and I think that that's something that you can continue to drive home as many times as you want like Yes, if you have a good acorn crop being around that feed tree is important and it feels like for the most part covering ground scouting is the best way to find that but one of the things that we noticed in the buck nest and how much that changed from one season to the next so for example the season where it was a hot spot down there there were no acorns to speak of, worth noting, I suppose, that were on the ground at that time frame. So it seemed like the deer were concentrated on that broadleaf browse, Mm -hmm. more of a grassy wetland area type of browse. But then when we hunted it the following year, there was acorns and the deer were up in the hills and they weren't down in those bottoms. We kind of saw the same thing. In that 2020 season, before they had shifted to the Scarlet Oaks, it seemed like they were more down in the bottoms, where there was more water getting concentrated down there, and there was just a little bit more diversity on the forest floor. And I feel like something that you've really helped me with over the years, Ben, is looking at the little details of the stem itself and, like, seeing if that's nipped off or not. Mm -hmm. And if you're finding areas like that, where you're just seeing tons of little uh, shrubby plants that are just getting nipped off, I guess that's something that I i feel like i could really up my game in i know that your knowledge of it then is superior like by a long shot of being able to say like this plant is this and deer do or do not feed on it and i hmm. actually just stumbled across a little uh little packet it might have been from my grandpa where i was talking about the native species and like what deer do feed on it might have been like a association thing Mm -hmm. where it was like talking about what broadleaves that the deer feed on and i just was like man i got a lot of info out of that little packet and just reading about you know what is a good food source and what isn't and i think when i when i think of it from my lack of knowledge i look at a landscape like the buck nest for example and the one thing i can identify quickly is there's a whole bunch of different plants and mm-hmm. what they are i don't know but there's a bunch of them yeah out
2: there. and like in high diversity um broadleaf plants you're gonna have certain things that are palatable at certain times mm. so i feel like you just have a higher chance of in the fall there's something in there that's mm-hmm. highly desirable
0: yeah
2: i think another thing too would be like how how the structure holds up throughout the fall because like at the beginning of the fall beginning of season usually you have those areas are tall, you know, the grasses are still up, but like by the time you have a frost later in the season, that structure could be completely gone. Yeah. Or in some areas, you know, like real thick goldenrod, it's, the structure's still there. Mm-hmm. Even if there's not like as many plants that they're browsing on in there, there's structure and browse. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Early season two in a big wood setting, I think of some sort of cut. Mm-hmm. Because that's a lot of times where you're gonna find that diversity. Mm-hmm you look at a lot of eastern timber stands and they can be pretty bland kind of just be a few tree species and let's let's say you know there's a good stand of oaks in the area that you're hunting but if they're not dropping acorns it's like what's the next step like where are you looking next Mm -hmm. and if you're breaking down an area big scale what are some of the things that you feel like jump out to you
2: looking for like looking on the map i guess looking for any broken canopy would be a good way to mm-hmm. indicate you know at least if it's you know new enough imagery you could tell there's some kind of diversity in there but mm-hmm.
0: or at least anticipate that there's being some. yeah there's just more sunlight there's, hitting the ground yeah
2: there's at least a patches of sunlight hitting the ground and if there are trees down you know that structure there too because mm-hmm. um, like you know you might have more a lot of vines and sections if a bunch of trees blew over in an ice storm or something And they're browsing on those vines, plus the extra sunlight. Just any canopy disturbance, I guess, in in the big woods.
0: Another thing that I think about, and I don't find it very often, but occasionally I do, is if you've got aerial imagery that you can go back to and look at a fall, no-leaf image. Mm -hmm. If you're looking in bottoms, the guy that always comes to mind is Bo Martonic. He Mm -hmm. talks a lot about hunting bottoms. And at first, I was like, man, I just haven't really heard about that. And that's always something that catches my interest. But then we kind of start doing it ourselves and finding ways to play the wind in those areas. When looking at a map, if you're looking at that aerial imagery, a lot of times, let's say the picture's taken in kind of early fall, October, November time frame, and the leaves are off, a lot of times you can still see green growth in those bottoms that end up being pretty good mm-hmm. just from that aerial imagery. And I think that's... Another cool way to pick up on a spot and just, you know, something to maybe incorporate into your route as you're making a scouting mission in there. Mm -hmm. If you find those plants and they're browsed, like, there you go.
2: Yeah. And then there's, like, a trend, too, I think, in bottoms, at least in areas we found it in Ohio and West Virginia and such, is, like, you have a lot deeper and better soil down there in the bottom. Mm -hmm. And so, like, it was probably farmed at one point. Yeah. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. that was open. And then, like, that's reverted. Plus that better soil is just like going to support more pr- plant productivity. Yes. So.
0: And it almost seems like a lot of times on the ridges, you're not getting a ton of diversity, even if there is some open can- canopy. At least in some situations, because it's so eroded and so rocky up there that mm-hmm. there's just like you said, not that soil. But it almost, I mean, it collects down there at the bottom yeah, over water.
2: Like, yeah.
1: Mm. makes a lot of sense
2: like silty soils versus like right sandy rocky soils that just drain quickly so just different plants are going to grow on those ridges mm-hmm. and then the bottom you know can support a lot of different plants and then if the bottom gets flooded that's a whole other right. yeah. habitat
0: yeah that that buck nest area is a old field I mean it's straight up you can go back in aerial imagery and look hmm. and see that it was planted in row crop I don't know 15 20 years ago mm-hmm. something in that time frame from the time we first started hunting it. and it's pretty crazy um to see places like that change and your your parents place
2: yeah
0: oh you, sure that's a really good example too of a, a place that we can kind of all guess that there's going to be a lot of good deer activity at least in the first half of the season hopefully into the late season but for sure early mm-hmm i guess talk about that briefly because we haven't really talked about that on the podcast i don't think not much at least
2: not much um the whole property was i'm pretty sure it was all pasture when my parents bought it mm-hmm. in 91 so you know it's about 30 years 30 plus years old like even um,
1: directly behind the barn there, yeah like really yeah there was like that. a
2: couple trees there's like the big oak mm-hmm. there's a hickory and a black gum like huh. there were trees in a pasture
1: no kidding. And I mean, I guess I can see it now. Like the, when I think about that woods, those trees, the ones you're talking about, stick out so much. Yeah, that, and it's because they're so much older. Yeah, right? and like right.
2: I, your parents' woods was probably somewhat similar to that. Yeah, at one I, point.
1: I would guess that's true.
0: When I started learning about trees and their age from you know from you, <laughs> I remember one day going home and being like, all these trees are the same age, the same you know size it's almost like it was all cut at exactly the same time and it's when you really look at it through that lens versus just a kid that's like oh there's the woods and this is the yard (laughs) you know and then you look at it and it's like oh this is all kind of the same and it's obvious how it got here now and you think about it and you you understand like the progression i guess but pretty interesting but anyway
2: yeah so like um i was gonna go on a different different tangent should probably stay on the whole farm (laughs) (laughs) um so when we were kids like when we were all running around out there paintballing and just screwing around making campsites and stuff it was all it was mostly goldenrod Mm -hmm. right the goldenrod a lot of like broadleaf plants and then like you're talking behind the barn
1: yep
2: there was like a sapling under you know age class i guess when we were kids yeah and and it was just like oh this is just what it's been this is the woods you know and then like over time, putting that together is like, holy crap, yeah, this is not really that old. Mm-hmm. But it's just early successional habitat. Like, for even, even still, there's still pockets in it now that are really dense and thick like that. But um, getting to watch it change over the years is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. And that happens on a lot of public areas, I feel like. Because, like, you have public areas that were probably, like, an abandoned farm. Right. Or an abandoned mine land or some kind of, like, other use timberland.
1: Yeah, timber.
2: Yeah. Whenever. And then they just, you know, you have like, for the most part, it's just tr- trees and plants growing up over time. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we got a lot of passengers. I got so distracted. <laughs> <laughs> the bike, the biker, biker gang. The biker got gang just passed time. us,
0: and there's a dead coyote in the middle of the road, and they were like signaling to each other with their feet, and I was just like. <laughs> I'm with. I'm paying attention to these guys, the, which the gang gang is good, now. right? It's yeah. where you know. Yeah, like I said earlier, standard lane. Yeah. Keep your eyes on the road.
2: And there's a cop there too. No,
0: it's just a jeep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here comes another passer. What do, you, what do you think this little? Oh, I
1: didn't see the construction behind it. I was like, "What is this little deal? Huge gate with like <laughs> a little house there." <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's your this, ranch. Yeah, this is my ranch. My modest ranch. I mean,
0: humble. That'd be sweet. <laughs> um.
1: So, yeah, speaking of ranches,
0: yeah,
2: the home farm. <laughs>
0: the, the home 53 or 57. What is it?
2: F- 56. 56. So, yeah, anyways, we were talking about the plants.
0: Yeah, and, and kind of then the transition from field to CRP. Talk about that. Oh, yeah, yeah.
2: And then recently we had, you know, two of our fi- – or one of the fields um, planted in the CRP. So, like, within – Months it went from one plant growing there, (laughs) soybeans the year before, and you know to 30 to 50 plants probably. I mean we planted like 30 in the mix, so
0: um, probably more than that with just other things that it came up naturally or yeah with birds dropping stuff. I mean there's all kinds of, and the wildlife utilization of it is insane. So like I've heard about this. You know field now for what it's been in it for two or three
2: this is the third season okay yeah
0: so i've heard about it a lot and i just hadn't made it back over there since it went from field to crp and i got to spend a little time there this summer hanging out there with you and with alex and even just walking around with your parents and stuff and to see the wildlife utilizing that so much the birds and i mean because we're talking about deer the deer man Mm -hmm. like bucks everywhere on the outskirts of that thing and just does popping in and out of it constantly little bucks and does bedding in it and just knowing that that's holding that many deer now Mm -hmm. is pretty dang good sign that they're all going to be there in the in the season as well and once the rut kicks in those big bucks are going to start spending a lot of time covering the outskirts of it because that's where there's a high concentration of deer because right now it has bedding and it has brows, and the only thing that would really pull them from that probably won't pull all those doe family groups by any means would be acorns, you mm-hmm.
2: know? Yeah, it's definitely not corn because it's surrounded by cornfields this Right, year. right.
0: But yeah. I just think that, you know, having having that diversity is just probably the best thing you could do on a private land setting. So, like, back to public then, you know, Big Woods specifically... I feel that we talked about bottoms. We've talked about briefly about cuts. I want to dive into that a little bit more. But um, the other thing that I think is swamp. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're dealing with big wood settings like up in the north, like in yeah. Minnesota or in the north or northeast, just taking a huge stand of timber and being like, well, that's the only big break in yeah. the whole area. Let's start there. Cover that edge. See if you're seeing sign going in and out of it. Mm-hmm. And at that point it just comes down to like what is fresh and what is not and i just feel that i mean it's so simplified but it, it varies so much from spot to spot exactly how much sign you're looking for or what you're looking for but it's like if you find a big fresh buck sign like a big scrape or a big rub it's probably worth hanging in that area especially early season mm-hmm. like nothing gets me more fired up than a big early season scrape yeah <laughs> you know it's like something's happening here and something's probably going to be happening here for the, the rest of this month into the next yeah. you know i just think that's good
2: so picking that apart on a we were talking about like a big wood scale or just like a a large public area that you show up to mm-hmm. or even a large private area that you get to hunt um you know being able to pick those breaks in the canopy or the cover type you know the canopy of a forest in a bottom mm-hmm. that looks different might be that wetland you're
3: yeah looking at
2: mm-hmm. Or flip the topo on and it'll probably show you that there's a wetland there. But yeah. um, <clears throat> that's going like, to help you break down what the differences are. But like you said, scouting that day mm-hmm. is gonna or hunting <laughs> that yeah, day and yeah. getting to see how they're interacting with that habitat.
0: I also think to simplify things, I, I've said this before, but if you're looking through the woods and you're seeing just consistent understory that is not thick, and you see a wall of thick, focus on that edge, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's so simplified, but sometimes I have to think of it that way where I'm getting too caught up and looking for acorns. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, well, how about we just go back to this thick and look there and maybe there's sign going in and out of that. And I, right. I think that that's just... You know another version of saying tr- tr- uh, transition line right mm-hmm. you're looking at something that changes and all of a sudden it's thick through there and you can't see into it and a lot of times again that's covering those two bases of some sort of brows but also the structure that's a really good point that you brought up earlier is that's just structure you can't see through that and therefore they feel secure in there mm-hmm. i think getting caught up in acorns sometimes can be you start focusing too much on the big, yeah, and big like, open timber and that can get monotonous and
2: the sign will be there if they're like if the acorns are dropping the feeding sign will be there but that's not necessarily where they're where they're always going to be spending the whole day like they could just right. make that they could run that whole ridge all night and just eat acorns lay down for a little bit and you'll see beds there yep and that can be kind of
0: misleading misleading too.
2: yeah okay. i know i get the caught in that all the time is like hanging out on top where there's sign and being like, could you just be right over that? But it's like, he's probably just on that bench yeah. way yeah. down there and he's not coming up here till dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or until he gets your wind because you know, the <laughs> thermals drop onto that bench. <laughs> I feel like that's a scenario I run into a lot. Yeah. So Especially hot oaks because you're hunting the top a lot of
0: times. So what adjustment, knowing that that's a tendency that you have, what adjustment would you make for like an early season setup?
2: I want to try to focus more on the benches, like we're doing elk hunting right now, yeah. like um, there's just that top bench, bottom. We'll, you know, summarize it, but I feel like that's something I've, I always struggle with. Is it's like the signs here, the tracks are here, mm-hmm. but
1: where is that? Where is he right now? Where's the in between? Yeah, like they're yeah, going through there at some point. Then it might be
2: on top, but if like the cover's not there on yeah. top. It's probably not there,
1: yeah,
2: and then just a adjust, like adjusting the <clears throat> setup for the evening too, because it's something that I feel like I always get winded with a th- dropping thermal I, it's yeah like, it's like if, unless you're hunting mistake, sure. right towards that drain, mm-hmm. your wind is just going I and mean, they're just going to go to there to scent check you, yeah.
0: yeah, I think or of skyline a s- yeah. yeah, I think of a setup like maybe you've got a little drainage going up into the side of a hill, something pretty pretty steep in that drainage. Mm-hmm you kind of suspect that they may be bedded off on a point or you know from that point down to that drainage there's sort of a bench there and then kind of wraps again see almost like you got two parallel ridges finger ridges and then a drainage coming up the middle of them it almost seems like in the evening if you could pull off sliding up there super slow and get right at the head of it where maybe there's a trail that goes around the head of it setting up in a spot like that and allowing your thermals to pull down to the bottom maybe you just have a little bit better chance at catching that movement in daylight where if he is only moving 150 yards from his bed he's probably like you said a lot he's probably not going to the top Mm -hmm. and he's probably honestly not going to the bottom especially if it's pretty accessible and i know that's a mistake that like we've made a lot hunting the big woods stuff that we've hunted is we're just like oh this bottom looks pretty great but it's I've started thinking in recent years, like, man, I'm doing a lot of the same things that everybody else is doing. Mm -hmm. But if, but if you hunt on those benches or those points or in that drainage, yeah, you're, yeah, you're being risky with your wind Mm -hmm. and you're being risky that they might just see you. Mm -hmm. But it's like, if you could really think about, okay, if there's a bet on this point, what can he see? And how can I use this wind to manipulate the situation in my favor maybe that means like only hunting it for a few hours in the morning when you know the thermals are going up and you use that to your advantage or you know hunt that drainage in the evening just for the last hour and a half slide in there to where your thermals are going down
3: mm-hmm.
0: you know you probably can't pull off an all-day setup in a lot of these places but we rarely do that anyway because we're impatient but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's we're like, talking about hour tops <laughs> yeah, i mean seriously i don't want to set up for more than an hour but i i think you're exactly right man i I've been thinking a whole lot about that recently. Of, We talked a lot about it last winter when um, <laughs> the side hill theory became, kind of became a thing. It's like, wait, we could use that to our advantage and then circle uphill or downhill based off what the thermals are doing to get set up just out of sight. And use that terrain, trust that they're in there because you've got a fresh food source there and just commit to it. Mm-hmm. And again you don't have to commit all day to it but it might be worth you know trying to utilize the first couple hours or the last couple hours Mm.
2: and i think about how deer traverse like when you get to watch a deer just traverse the hillside and you know it's not like a deer you're gonna shoot or you get to watch them for a while it's like they they do a lot of moving on that side hill Steep stuff yeah so like when you put you know when i i put myself in the top to hunt that top trail or in the bottom on the bottom trail <clears throat> they're spending a lot of that time they might move 300 yards from where they were bedded most of the day but it's all on it's the all side on that hill. side hill yeah and like i don't know a lot of times i'm just thinking of it just like oh i'm here now i'm here where it's yeah. like now the real transition is that entire side hill before they go up to the top to eat the acorns or whatever
0: and a lot of times when you find a bench like that or you know flat enough of a side hill that they are utilizing it a lot it does seem like there's generally speaking where you find the the big buck sign um you find some sort of diversity there too where like that bench is holding a little bit more water moisture or you know because it's north facing and it's just shaded enough it doesn't dry out as fast and there's a little bit of diversity there and Mm -hmm. it does seem like they want to hang out in those places and if another factor of all of this is again going back to what our tendencies are and what other hunters' tendencies are, where do you see tree stands? <laughs> on the top, top or on the bottom?
2: Or at a big old saddle. Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which are all... Which all work all at a certain work. point.
0: I mean, we've had luck on all those places. But I think for early season specifically, I'm thinking, man, let's get... Or any time, really, where the deer aren't moving a lot, like mm-hmm. not rutting early or late. Mm-hmm they're just making these little micro moves in daylight first light last light type of deal i would agree i would really like to spend more time on a side hill and just trust that he's there even though you can't see anything necessarily and you can't see much but you're set up on this one trail and it's like man if he comes through here i'm gonna get him Mm -hmm. i think it's something that i would like to get better at because i'm terrible i think i'm terrible at it right (laughs) i think (laughs) we're, we're both really bad at that
2: yeah it's something that like i don't know there's just there's so many different ways that you can hunt big timber Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and i definitely wouldn't say that i have any consistent way that i've done it Mm -hmm. but that's something that i would like to try to focus on i feel like we're doing it elk hunting right now Mm -hmm. or at least at certain points we are because i mean we're just doing a lot of calling setups and trying to get close to them and getting on those side hill corridors and and food sources essentially like you're in the browse there Mm -hmm. um I could just picture working a lot more for whitetails, too.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, you hear a lot about, like, deer working the top third or whatever, and I think that that's the same exact thing where you're talking in that situation, side hill. And I think I just, for whatever reason, have such a hard time committing to it when I can't see anything. I would say that's probably a lot of folks hang up with it, too. Because if you're sitting there, like, whether you're on the ground or in a tree stand... If you're on a side hill, you can't see much. Hmm. You're kind of just looking into the side of a hill. Yeah, you're just committing to, like, this one area that you're going to be able to look at. Yeah, yes. yeah. and I think my uh, tendency, and I know I actually know my tendency, has been to, I want to be able to see where I think he's coming from, and therefore a lot of times I'll push too hard. Where hmm. It's like if I just stay on that side hill and stay on the back side of it, I'll probably be able to sneak to a point see where there's that fresh trail coming across, sit down and just be patient. Mm-hmm. If I see something, you know, if you get an opportunity, great. If you don't, then you just adjust. Mm-hmm. And, and you got to, I feel like you have to commit to chipping away at it in that way. And I think I'm getting a little bit better at that, but it's still kind of a tough thing to, to commit to sometimes for me. Yeah, uh, I just start saying what if too many times i the hundred outset in and then i get too, all scrambled too impatient yeah. yeah it's like well but what if well what if he's not there well what if the wind's not perfect for him it's like dude you're overthinking it just commit to it and see what happens tonight and like maybe tonight you see a small buck you know buck you don't want to shoot or something and you're like okay well that wasn't what i wanted to see but that it's a pretty good sign that yeah, this word went through here yeah <laughs> and better situation yet yeah, you get a you know to practice draw on them and you're like oh i think i could make that shot if if you know the opportunity was a little bit different with a more of a target deer whatever you know i just think that those are some of the things that yeah we probably both need to <laughs> adjust on a little bit like i have one hunt that comes to mind that i could use it as, a, as an example in october and i, mm. I feel that um I made a video on this like hopefully painted a picture well for it it was a hunt that keith and i had in that 2020 season it would have been october and we weren't seeing deer out in the grassy areas where we had seen them the year prior so we're like well there must be acorns falling and i think we had even just heard acorns following falling in the timber that we were hunting close to and we're kind of thinking probably should shift midday to scout that out so we go in there and we find all this fresh sign there's fresh scrapes hit this morning there's rubs there's scrapes in there and we follow it out on a big long ridge that went out to a bigger main creek bottom there was a major saddle out there and right in that major saddle there was all these acorns dropping. there was all kinds of good sign right around that and it seemed like the deer were kind of working from that point up to that saddle and feeding mm-hmm. and there's buck sign that was convincing us that they were there well that night about 40 minutes before dark exactly what happened has happened to you a lot happened to us and we're in the saddle the thermals start to drop and what sounded like a buck traveling alone came in winded us never blew just ran mm-hmm. Then, right at dark, a whole wad of does come straight down the nose of the ridge, or straight up the nose of the ridge, right to the saddle where we're set up, and they're standing at point blank. They didn't circle downwind. They were using their eyes, and the lead doe, you know, of course, like, is really looking. Yeah. But the buck used the wind to his advantage. Now, on the other hand, had we just been like, okay, this is all great info, he's probably going up there, but let's set up on the down thermal side of the Mm -hmm. hill. catch him going up there but catch him from below him we might have seen him Mm -hmm. and and again maybe this isn't you know what we were after that day but hell we don't even know what we what he was because we didn't see him because we didn't put the wind in our favor Mm -hmm. we were just trying to force it up on top because that was easy and we didn't have to put a whole lot of effort sneaking in there we kind of rolled in at three o'clock in the afternoon Mm. and in hindsight we could have just taken our time given ourselves even if that meant Sliding in there with only an hour left, we still would have been a
1: better spot
0: than yeah. you were, yeah. And that's what we did on the day that we shot the one that later that season, yeah, is we just took the time to actually slide into the spot that we wanted to be in. But
2: and I think taking that approach, not to dive off on the side hill, how to hunt it tangent too much, but taking that approach in, you kind of sound like a deer potentially <laughs> moving to that <laughs> spot, yes. Mm-hmm. And like, whereas you come up over the top or from the bottom and you start popping stuff and it's just maybe not a way that deer come up the hill well they might be or
1: expecting people to be in those spots too just like oh yeah, y'all are, yeah. Right? you're like most people are in the top or bottom deer yeah. probably pick up on that as well i mean so then the, if you're sneaking through in the right
0: way mm-hmm.
1: that side hill might be the Perfect camouflage. I think you're.
0: I think you're exactly right. I think the deer totally pick up on the fact that we're on the top and the bottom. Yeah. I mean, there's. Mm. It just seems like there's no way because, like we said, you walk a side hill. Think about again these elk hunting experiences. We walk a ridge top. Eventually, you find some human sign. You find, yeah. you know, an empty can or a toilet paper pile. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the worst thing you can find. Yeah. Right. But you find. You pick up on those little human signs but then you drop down on a bench where it's pretty dang steep to get down there and then all of a sudden it's just like wait where did everything go there's no sign and you start convincing yourself that nobody's been here in a decade you know yeah. and it yeah. probably isn't true in all situations but it's more likely to be true than the ridge top where it's flat walking the whole way mm-hmm. yeah and you know there's a quad trail there if you're in ohio <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> And I just, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're used to people taking those paths with the least right. resistance. Now, and that's not to say that you shouldn't utilize those to like speed scout still, because I think that that's something we'll, we'll always probably do. But keep in mind by doing that, you might also just be alerting a lot of deer because they might be able to see that at the bottom or in the top as the season progresses, especially when leaves fall off. But an adjustment that I would like to make to this season is just cover the ground and get a bunch of samples and i talk so much about this i hope i'm not beating a dead horse but i think warb and i both agreed when we were talking about this subject a little bit um in a couple a couple podcasts ago we were talking about getting ready for the deer tour we both feel that investing more time into scouting is ends up being more valuable than just trying to hunt something like Mm -hmm. you're almost better off to take you know three days to scout and two days to actually set up than you are to try to just force it force it force it you mm-hmm. know just keep finding those places that there's high concentrations of sign and then you know that this is something that you know deer are definitely spending more time here than they are over here for example like i guess what i mean more specifically than that is Say so you're scouting on the map and, and you're breaking down this area. Maybe you've been there before, maybe you haven't. It doesn't really matter. I think you kind of approach it in almost the same way because these variables do change so much you know, from year to year. You're looking at your Big Woods map. You say, okay, there's this clear cut here. There's this low ground here and a swamp. And then there's a um, stand oaks over here. So I'm going to go check these three places out. Each one of those you're going to see a certain set of sign well if the oaks for example have a lot more sign than the clear cut in the swamp that year then you know that you want to keep focusing on more of those oak spots
3: mm-hmm.
0: the next year you might notice that they're more concentrated on the swamps and then you know you just focus a little bit more on those but even within that okay so let's say you eliminate the swamp like let's say that particular week that you're hunting you take note of where you see that Mm -hmm. sign around those oaks Mm -hmm. and then you just try to find other places like that on the map and then you compare let's just say three more of those spots so you've got three more oak stands that you compare to that first one and while you're doing that you're just collecting a whole bunch of different data on you know which one may be the more hot spot i guess and i think that's just something that i in general feel when i hunt that way and just keep covering the ground it doesn't really matter what setting it is i always feel that you get more opportunities and you learn a lot more. you certainly learn a lot more when you do that yeah so I just feel like that's always a goal of mine every year I'm trying to push that a little bit more get back to that cutting ties with places like i think something i really well when we first started the hunting public was just not be tied to anything you know and i feel that especially the 2021 season when i hunted with roy and the big woods and we called the one in on day two Mm -hmm. after that it was like well that worked and this is a good spot and then i felt like we just tiptoed then for days and i feel like that really hurt us where in the 2020 season we didn't get attached to anything and we didn't tiptoe anything. We just kept covering ground until we found the hot spots. And when we did, it paid off with, you know, visuals. We were seeing the deer then. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't know, 2021, we really didn't see much past that, that second day and call in call-in. other mm-hmm. than that. It was like, nothing really happened.
2: And I think it's important because like the food source can change daily. Oh yeah. But also like, um, you know, the hunting pressure can obviously change daily. Mm-hmm. So like they may be using that Oak stand, but then all of a sudden you go in there a couple of times, somebody else goes in there. Yeah. It could just bump those deer enough to the next root over to bed on in some thicket that you weren't really concerned with. And, mm-hmm. you know, just being able to adapt to that is the importance, I guess, of just moving. Covering. Yeah. Covering. covering ground.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, also understanding the scale of what you're hunting too, I think is important in that regard. Like for example, if you're hunting in really big mountains, the move might be more dramatic. It might be two miles down one ridge and over the other, or two miles down the ridge, or you know, a mile out a big long finger. That adjustment that those deer might make could be a big scale. But as you get more cover and more habitat breaks, those moves that they make to adjust to the hunting pressure, I think oftentimes get shrunk down, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and that, I guess why I have that opinion is using open ground as your sample. And I know it's not the same, but if you think about open ground where you can see a lot, it's really easy to be like, okay, this is cover, this is not cover for a mile, and then there's cover again. But if you look at the big woods and try to compare it in that way, I think you could use, like, that thicket, for example, some sort of disturbance or some sort of edge, and then open timber between that, almost think of that as your bare ground that you would see in open country like the plains, you know. If all of a sudden you, you know, look at a huge chunk of ground, it's like, well, this is all just monotonous and the same, well, then there's probably a dang good chance that they're not spending their time there their next move is to that next patch of cover wherever that may be
3: mm-hmm.
0: i think i think about that like elk hunting yeah like what we're in right now it's
2: you know the moves that they make from even bed to food can sometimes be Huge. really far or like you know the bedding is like where the food is often but mm-hmm. like the yeah the next patch of that habitat might be 3 Quarter mile away, or something, and you're just catching sign in between those two areas, and yeah, pairing the habitat with the kind of sign you're seeing, I guess, too. Mm-hmm. Like, though, that you know, are they feeding this truly, or are they just like, is this like a travel corridor between right. these two right patches? Yeah,
0: well, and and then,
2: the, and then the timber of the you know, the eastern timber that we we're talking about that might be shrunk down a lot, too, because mm-hmm. like one spot of that to like could be like 100 yards away from the next mm-hmm. and there could just be way more animals
0: yeah yeah and density changes that a lot too it's like if you're in like we use the example it's it's an easy example because we've been there for quite a lot like iowa even in your big timber stands you're just dealing with such a high number of deer that you know the, the carrying capacity is high there's a lot of dense cover so if they need to adjust and move bedding locations for you know within a week because all of a sudden they're feeling hunting pressure they don't have to probably move that far but if Mm. you're in new hampshire they might have to move three miles down and back up the other side to get to that's kind of nice hope you guys like that rumble strip there (laughs) Hmm. for this curve i guess Uh, yeah kind of unique maybe because that driveway yeah don't drive on this driveway keep on the turn
2: (laughs) i think talking about what we want to try to do this season
3: mm-hmm.
2: would be kind of cool so like we talked about the side hill and trying to using that access to like make a setup or just make a, a still hunt through that
3: mm-hmm.
2: approach something we you started talking about late late last year quite a bit and i don't think we've had an early season since you were bringing up that whole concept of coming around the hill Mm-mm. on the side hill um but i think incorporating that into the like finding the vegetation on that hill and then using that approach to to work through it Mm -hmm.
0: i think i think in those situations just the biggest thing to keep in mind is you're going to get to certain spots where you have to decide do i want to go around this and potentially blow what's around there or is this good enough for me to stop here and hopefully let them come to me like the wind's good know i'm getting a consistent wind or i think here in in a little bit the wind's going to settle down and maybe have a thermal pull but like every time you're going into a i always call it the new world it's like some new piece of the terrain that you can now see or you're exposing yourself to and not just like going so fast that you just pop into it and blow everything out of there before you give it a chance to listen watch you know i think a lot of times like if you're following a bench around you're kind of following a point around it if you just really take your time watch down in their glass and listen there's a good chance you're not going to just blow it out but if you just wrap right around there and head right into it there's a dang good chance you're going to bump it and i feel like it's just a bad habit that we've had in the past but we do it on top versus or the bottom versus on the side hill and i think the side hill gives you an advantage because you're not getting skylined as easily Mm -hmm. like it's harder to see into that you just have more of a backdrop. Yeah. Because the, the rest of the mountain or hill is behind you. Mm-hmm. And that's a wrap. <laughs> yeah, that's just it. That's yeah. it. That's um, all.
2: <laughs> yeah, but I mean, there's some other things to consider, I guess, in big woods. It could be like, you know, like I said, mountain, mountains versus like smaller hills and just the access that you have to use. Mm-hmm or that other people used to you know if that ridge becomes higher and like only accessible by one trailhead that's going to make that to me that i would think that that would make that access like even more concentrated on that ridge top yeah so trying to pick that out in relation to where those different different vegetation types are too
0: Yeah, I think access-wise, one thing that I would like to do a lot more of, and I feel that we've gotten a little bit better at it, and we've definitely been thinking about it more, is just trying to, off the road, not take those obvious top or bottom trails. Either if you're parking at the bottom, cutting up and then angling in, or if you're at the top, parking at the top, and then taking a narrow drainage down and then cutting across. Mm -hmm. So you're not just walking right across the top like i think of so many situations and this has probably been our number one mistake in in hill country big timber hunting has been just walking right down the center of the ridge and we're just getting skyline between the trees all the time so you know if you're thinking about a main ridge and us walking across the top of it and there's a finger below it that they're bedded on that flat spot on that finger they just look up there as soon as they hear something and then they see flash 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 of a Mm -hmm. human body going across the skyline it's like even if they don't run from the bed right then, they're, they're not going in the direction yeah, that you're going. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're going to go around it. And I think it's just, I don't know. I don't really even know why that took so long to, to dawn on me that, that approach is just a little bit. The side hill approach, while there's still tons of risks involved, it's, it has some advantages for not getting spotted. Mm-hmm. For sure. Where I think there's so many times, like, our biggest mistake, again, has just been that we get spotted before we even get to our target location.
2: Yeah. Especially with the leaves off.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if the leaves are on, it makes everything a little bit easier, for sure. But, you know, most of the season, that's not true. I mean, truthfully, most of the bigwoods hunting I do all season, there's no leaves at all. I don't really hunt bigwoods very often with leaves. So, I, I guess, you know, the majority of, then when people hunt, you know, on rut hunts or, like, like, a lot of times we take trips in the rut, it's like that's when you're dealing with no leaves. So I just think that's... And there's a lot of times, too, I think, even with leaves, that there's these little micro-openings on those tops that we don't necessarily notice, mm-hmm. and they can still see through it. I mean, think about, like, we've just been watching a bunch of footage of an elk that we called in the other day, and he's looking... He comes up and he stops and nobody can really tell in the footage or in the moment what he's looking at. And maybe he didn't see anything. Maybe smell this. It's hard. We really can't decide. But part of the reason is we can't see what his eyes are doing because he's in a dark spot and he's looking through tree branches and everything. And I think there's so many situations when a deer goes and beds in that cover like that
3: mm-hmm.
0: or that structure that he can see out of it but we can't see into it. Right. We, we talked about it a lot over at, at uh, Alex and I. We talked a lot about it at your parents' place one day when we were making a walk through. We found a spot where Ben had created some structure by cutting a tree, and it was right on a little high point in the woods. Great place for deer to bed, and they were using the heck out of it. It was probably the most worn-in bed that I've seen in, I mean, I'd say five years. It was crazy how much they were using it. We ended up jumping a small buck. It looked like he was actually in it that day, Mm -hmm. got up and moved to a different bed, and then we bumped him. But one of the things that I noticed about that bed is if you're in it, you can see the edge of timber, but there is no way you can see from the edge of the timber into that bed. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if you knew exactly where it was... You'd have to slide in there and, and glass it, but even then, the contrast from the outside looking in, is it's so dark in there that you'd have a hard time picking up on where a deer is in that little spot, if yeah. that makes sense. Oh, yeah. And I just think there's so many situations in big woods where if the timber's open, they'll lay there and look at that, and they see that flash between trees or on the horizon or down in the bottom, and there all of a sudden there's this mammal that's going vertical yeah <laughs> it's like mm. son we're going to have to get out of here <laughs> 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 it's in vertical mammals coming through <laughs> 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 the bottom's a big one too though that i
2: well you could deal with sound too on the bottom mm-hmm. like your sound is all just trapped down there so you, i think if you even more so if you pop a stick or something more they amplified. can look and, and they had the vantage on yeah, you too right because they're most of the time bedded above you if you're on the bottom at least a little bit
0: yeah and i mean if the bottom's wide enough maybe you can get away with that but if you're dealing with a bottom that's really narrow and you're crashing around down there they may just be bedded there looking at that spot and then you're just you know dead meat like you're not getting away with that yeah mm-hmm. it's like the only place you can walk and they're like we know we're gonna, <laughs> yeah. look, we're gonna stare at that spot yeah cause that's the only place they're gonna go through and like you said earlier, Logan, the tendency that we have right. as hunters to take that path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. Like they're smarter than than that, mm-hmm. right? they like oh, yeah. they know that that's true. Or then use the example of the like quad trail on top. It's mm-hmm. like, well, if all the time people are accessing through that area, then yeah, they're definitely going to be watching those spots or land. Better yet, land to where they can see the bottom and the skyline there where that trail is on top and then they got you 100 percent of the time and that's where you know again with the right with proper care of wind side hill approach seems Mm -hmm. to be something that we want to incorporate more of i suppose Mm -hmm. is there anything as far as sign in addition to these food sources that would catch your eye um
2: i think something that i find interesting like after scouting after the season versus the early season is seeing like pictured like a patch of three or four white oaks on a hill and you go up and you see that sign in december or something or even after season like
0: that it's like old sign or you're no, saying like it's fresh Th- this now. year's
2: sign okay and seeing that then you're like yeah they were coming through here a lot this season but it's like they could have made all of those rubs it could have been one buck in like three days <laughs> right and then that patch was dried up and he moved on he moved on yeah like it's something that i you know earlier in the season it's easier to pick out that fresh because you know the sign is only as old as the velvet's been off Yep. and if you find that fresh sign just like trying to hone in on that trend early in the season if you can yeah like if you're only there for a week in november it doesn't matter to you what they were doing early season right. but if it's an area that you hunt year to year then i think that could be that's something that i'm trying to pay attention to and then you know where are they bed in relation to that white you know let's take that white oak patch um, the leaves on that might look a lot different than, you know, if they're using a food source in the same Ridge in late November. Mm-hmm. I know I've seen that in the woods around us. Like if there's a white Oak stand and you've got like a dense pawpaw patch, mm-hmm. a bunch of leaves you, you can't see in there. And then, you know, maybe a couple down trees in there and you take that same area in late November and nothing's laying in that spot. It's wide open. All the leaves have fallen off.
0: I think one thing that I would like to learn more about and try to get better at is just identifying specific species. And I noticed you and Keith are always using that app. Mm-hmm. What app is that? It's called Seek. Seek. Yeah, it's like iNaturalist
2: is the platform. But then there's like the Seek app is just it's free and you don't have to have an account for it. And so you just point it at it. I think Apple's camera does that too. Mm-hmm. There's different apps but generally it's pretty good if you have a flower or like a leaf mm-hmm. of a woody plant yeah
0: and
2: so it'll at least get you to like a genus so like if you're looking at a like while well, they're browsing this shrub a lot like you're talking about logan yeah you could easily just point the phone at it and even without service it'll mm-hmm. give you an idea of what it probably is mm-hmm. and like you said just pinning that in your mind of what time and where they were using mm-hmm. that
0: yeah, because I feel like a lot of deer hunting talk is pretty basic, right? When, when you really think about it, it's like acorns or like the one that we've picked up on, we've really hammered home is uh, honey locust trees. When they are dropping those pods late season, that's something that we've noticed. But those are really easily identifiable things. But hmm. when you start looking at different plant types, like which ones are valuable to a deer and which ones aren't. And I think one thing that you've really opened my eyes to is the broadleaf versus a grass mm-hmm. where it's like just because there's grass there doesn't necessarily mean that that's a thing that they're going to go targeting right mm-hmm. they're going to go pick on the things that have the big broadleaf mm-hmm. i mean it's kind of sounds silly but yeah and like whatever's
2: um palatable at that point and mm-hmm. so like in the summer you might have so like goldenrod for example mm-hmm. in the summer that will freaking hammer the top of goldenrod mm-hmm. but then you get into the fall and it's got that flower it's dried out the leaves are all dried out and starting to fall off Mm
0: -hmm. like they're not going to browse that i see them browse it a little bit it's it seems like into october but then Mm -hmm. into november it starts like when the frost starts hitting it seems like it starts becoming less attract attractive
2: yeah it's just like it's more roughage than Mm -hmm. you know highly like think of like clover in november Mm -hmm. it's still super green right it's a cool season plant so it grows really well in cold weather
0: Mm mm-hmm and And it's also the first thing to green up in march yeah In you know a lot of the country at least i feel like yeah that's definitely something that you see that green pop early and then even into november like you said it's still green are there any other things though that are that have come pop into your mind that you've noticed recently in recent years in the areas that you've hunted a lot where you're like this is definitely something that i have paid attention to and
3: um
2: More.
0: yeah greenbrier yeah for example like
2: so a lot of people think like you know like you think floor rose or just that greenbrier is kind of a blanket term but the true greenbrier vine grows like grows like a shrub but it's actually a vine so it can crawl all over tree tops mm-hmm. um and they'll pretty well throughout the year browse that mm-hmm. plant heavier at certain times of course but even into the winter they'll hit it as you know a woody browse mm-hmm. and it just provides that like real thick structure too
0: and it's really hard for us as predators to get close to them through that stuff because we just make a ton of noise like crashing through green briar it's it's probably one of the most frustrating things to try to sneak through but that's why they're hanging out around it and they do a really good job of just fitting their you know really you know they're they're Obviously their legs are made up completely different than ours and they do such a good job getting in between it to where they can travel through it and make way less noise than we can with our, you know, with our loud pants and awkward feet and boots and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, those vertical mammals. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Vertical mammals. But I think, I mean, I think it's important. I think it's more important to identify like the place that a lot of those different plants are growing in. Like you talked about the Mm -hmm. diversity just because when they might be hitting that plant one day, but that could just be that deer's choice in there too. Right. Mm-hmm. And then like, it could be different the next day and like it not getting too hooked on one exactly what they're yeah. eating there mm-hmm. rather than like, that's where there's like 30 different plants and they're eating a lot of them. And you know, that's a spot that deer are going to browse a lot in mm-hmm. and probably be bed within if they have cover there.
0: So I'd, brought up clear cuts and i said i wanted to talk about them more so i figured we probably should do that Mm -hmm. what are some of the things that you would put higher priority on one clear cut versus another one for example like what i mean by that is i feel like in past years we used to think oh a clear cut's a clear cut Mm -hmm. and then in recent years it's more like eh not that clear cut though Mm -hmm. because somewhere along the line in the Growing cycle of that, you know, as it's growing back, it crosses a line to where it's like not as diverse as it once was, mm. and there's kind of a sweet spot in there. And I feel like the time can vary based off location, but mm. I guess just talk about your experiences with that and what your thought process is now, come and how it's changed, I suppose. Yeah,
2: some of the ways that I would say of clear cut varies is like you have the edges of the clear cut where there's like partial shade Mm -hmm. and then right outside of it too like that is going to grow slower obviously than it would in the full sun Mm -hmm. so like the full sun the south facing slope lower on the slope where you have more moisture those areas are going to grow a little faster and maybe get to that point a little quicker and those higher ridges where you know you might have more shade maybe there's a patch of trees that was left out there those might advance a little slower Mm -hmm. Um, but really it's to me it seems like as soon as the trees start to overtake the briars the broadleaf plants the grasses everything that's flushing in the first couple years when the trees start to overtop that that's when that you know becomes more cover than any browse value yeah and i would say in our area after year three generally you start to get some of those trees to overtop Mm -hmm. the understory and then really after year five to 10 somewhere in that span it's becoming like a lot more stemmy and a lot less like browse not necessarily a bad thing Mm -hmm. but like don't look at that as like an area they're going to spend a lot of time browsing in because for one they might not be able to walk through it or if they can it's just a bunch of stems like Mm -hmm. and the top growth of the plant is way above their head way above our head even yeah
0: that's that's a really good point not looking at a clear cut as just a big one big transition almost trying to identify the micro transitions within the clear cut mm-hmm. you know, yeah i, and I never like, really thought about it that way
2: roads like yeah. the buck you shot in pennsylvania yeah it was like that right mm-hmm. like they're using that was that cut was to the point where it's like the road is kind of the best area for them to move along and browse plants on mm-hmm. there's then,
0: tons of diversity on those roads too. yeah yeah and on top of that too it was A select cut and they left oaks that Mm. were dropping acorns and it was really interesting because all the roads were major trails so you could just follow those and there would be a really defined main trail going right down the heart of it but then it was like connect the dots to the oak trees Mm. so where we ended up setting up that day there was a big like wheels of a spoke type of trail connector there and our thermals were pulling right where there wasn't a trail Mm. so like our thermals were going down this way and there was an oak tree about 20 yards that way and there were some oak trees up there about 40 yards and we were on actually an intersection of two log roads so one went out and one went down so one stayed on our contour and one dropped to the next contour down Mm -hmm. and then there was oaks there and there so there's just this huge x right there and he dropped right into the center of that x like that when he drops into the trail on that hunt he's right on that big cross and it's kind of hard to see in the video but that's how it's set up Mm -hmm. and i feel like you know you're talking about the edge within the the clear cut in that situation once we really got on that side hill it was like oh we've just been tiptoeing around the edges now that we're in the center of it it's obvious that this is the concentration like there was a ton of sign around the outskirts of that i mean we would walk on even the timber like outside of the cut and you'd just see so many scrapes and rubs i mean crazy and that's why we kept hunting there but we weren't ever seeing anything other than maybe a couple really small bucks and and does but then once we finally like went into the center of it it was like oh this is this is what it's all about Mm -hmm. and i feel like again that's where i mean just a real quick tap on that Topic of being more aggressive and cover more ground. It's like instead of tiptoeing around the edges, I want to go into those spots a little bit more and just investigate the transition within the transition a little bit more often. And I think that's when, when you do that, a lot of times you find, you learn a lot more. Again, at the end of the day, you just learn more. Mm -hmm. But that's that's all really good stuff. I good stuff to nail
2: into your mind before you go into a deer season too. Yeah, because it's like I feel like I I often get, we all do it. I often get frozen in situations where I'm like, I can't go any farther or like, you know, I need to be more reserved here for some reason. And then you stick to a spot and you get in that stupid loop of like, I got to just be right. And it's not, it's not working essentially. So like you got to adjust. Yeah. If it's not working, just keep adjusting until Mm -hmm. you have that encounter that gets you on the trend of, oh, they are
0: spending time in these areas throughout the day yeah, maybe sometimes that means bumping one like mm-hmm. warb bumped that one in uh 2020 that he shot with gooch the, the real crazy video where he jumps out of the tree and makes a stalk around and shoots the buck it's sweet video but the reason that he found that spot is because he bumped a buck in red oaks i believe red oaks and then shoots the buck as he's eating red oaks in a like just down the ridge so it's like in that situation again the buck bumps from one cover to the next cover he anticipates that move gets set up on the same food source early season boom there he is Mm -hmm. and it's just like i mean that hunt is so textbook dude like it's so textbook and it just gives you a lot of confidence in you know your own hunting situations that it's like okay even if you bump one it's not the end of the world Mm -hmm. we ended up doing that at least twice that year as a group, very similar hunts where he did that in October and then you and I did that in December on acorns. And it's just like another, I guess thing that tells me at least for the way that I have had success and like to hunt, like don't worry too much about messing up because you're going to mess up inevitably. And also I'd rather bump one and learn something than sit there and question every single decision that you made all day when you sit there and it gets dark and you didn't see anything. You're just like, dude, what? Like, what's even happening here? Then you have no confidence going into tomorrow where at least if you bump one, you're like, well, we saw one here. They're doing this somewhere. Mm. They're probably doing this somewhere else. Yeah. And we definitely learn the most when we do those things. I feel like something you touched on we didn't really talk much about
2: back to the acorns is, like, the different species, different areas mm-hmm. they are on the hill. Yeah.
0: You're good at knowing that and I'm not.
2: So some of our well and acorns are easy to pick on for food sources for hunting obviously because they fall in the fall and when you're <laughs> hunting. And you know
0: keep that in mind, Logan.
2: They do Logan, <laughs> I don't <really> know that. <laughs> um so, you know, you're generally your your white oaks are early. Mm-hmm. Um
0: So and, late September Yeah, like right now. Yeah. Which
2: is yeah. What is it? Yeah, mid-September. So, like, when we left, they were already, acorns falling. Mm. And, obviously, going into early season in Ohio,
0: that's still happening. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of places, really. I mean, I feel like white oaks are a great food source in early October, too. Mm. And then, usually, your
2: white oaks, in our area at least, are going to be in areas where the soil has just a a touch more moisture. Um, So, like, your north slopes, your flatter areas in a slope. Um, you get into like the steeper sections and you're probably in our area more in like chestnut oak or chinkapin oak, Mm -hmm. um, which are other forms of white oak acorns. Okay. And then burr oak is as well, right? It is. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then, you know, your really dry sites, you have like your black oak is one that we get a lot on ridgetops. And are those real attractive
0: to deer because i i can't really remember any times where we've specifically been like oh yeah black oak oh is- yeah
2: yeah i mean they eat every acorn sure and like on certain years black oak might be the bumper mm-hmm. like i don't know if it was last year or two years ago that was the case and when but, do those drop kind of like the scarlet oaks like most of red oaks later uh, into later you know, end of october into november
3: okay yeah
2: um and then same with your like your regular red oaks um and scarlet oaks those are kind of later i just i mean just think of white oak as the earlier food source red oaks is the later food yep. source and like on every slope at least where we are there's some kind of oak could be there mm-hmm. but unless you get real into map scouting which you can like you said in that fall imagery you can't and then if you don't know the you know the terrain and where the oaks are growing on the area you're going to hunt it's hard to pick out what could be there until you go scout it but when you start to see those trends, like, you know, the north, uh, you know, this north point has a lot of these red oaks mm-hmm. right on it in this public area. So I can assume if the buck is using, if I saw some sign here, that might be the same thing on the next point over. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that's, you know, scarlet oaks like that year we had the scarlet oak drop west slopes south and west slopes yeah that like was mid to lower slope
0: yeah that was definitely prevalent it was like south facing mm-hmm. and you could even see them on the aerial imagery you could tell that there was like a line in an elevation band where there was those scarlet oaks and they were just really easy to pinpoint on the map mm-hmm. it's like well everything above that has no leaves and I guess how we put it together is we would see the map where we were standing, and be like, okay, these are the Scarlet Oaks. This is what they look like on the map, and then you could just pick that everywhere else, mm. and it was awesome because you could just pretty much go in blind to pla I mean, we were going into blind to places, and like, right there is where those trees are going to be, and that's where all the sign was, and that was mm-hmm. pretty slick. I mean, definitely worth investigating if you can, and I mean, it's always worth looking at a map, seeing what it looks like where you're at right now in real life and then on the map and then being able to take that other places. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like that's a a skill that we should always be trying to get better at as hunters when we have this, you know, aerial imagery on hand at all times, whether even, even if that's at home, mm-hmm. it's like go home and reevaluate once you're sitting there actually looking at it. Cause you guys went down to Georgia and you saw Scarlet Oaks on, I'm assuming the same slope same the slope exact, position, same, same elevation. exact. Band, bigger scale, mm-hmm. but the same band on the hill, like on the, I guess, one third of the hill down, all the way to about, I mean, basically that, two thirds band, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah,
1: yeah. lower two thirds. Yeah,
0: and and you hit a certain point and it changes again. You get more like hemlock and more just darker pine darker timber Mm -hmm. kind of a more stale feel down in there but right at that one specific band there was tons of those scarlet oaks and you know what's ironic is we spent a ton of time hunting up top Mm -hmm. and learned the hard way that we were spending way too much time in the wrong elevation band we're seeing all kinds of sign on top i mean we were seeing huge scrapes we're seeing these really defined trails and man we would just sit there and sit there and sit there and just felt like we were just kind of miserable and then we hunted the bottom (laughs) and then you know when we saw all the deer was when we finally hunted the middle elevation Mm. and it's like you know again not to say that that's every situation because we've hunted the top and the bottom and had great luck in those places Mm -hmm. but sometimes if those aren't working just make the change yeah and And luckily we did or we would or we would have been really like it would have been like, man, that was completely unsuccessful. But, but the last day that we hunted in there, we saw a lot of deer after not seeing, almost not seeing anything for like almost a week. Mm-hmm. So it was a confidence boost. Just like, okay, sometimes you just got to make that change. Yeah. So I guess that's a hopefully a confidence boost for people listening or watching now. Because if, if you're in the same boat and you're having a rough patch this season... Just mix it up, man. Sometimes that's what works best. Especially later in the season. Because as, as you you know,
2: the fall progresses, like, you're going to have... At that point, you know, if you guys, that was, like, December 20th or something. Yep. So, like, there's no green plants. Solstice day. So, the (laughs) the happiest (laughs) day of the year. The absolute shortest day of the year.
0: The absolute happiest day. So much darkness. So much (laughs) happiness.
2: So, you have, like, no plants really green i mean very little green brows that they're going to be going on right at that point and then you're an area where there maybe there's some woody brows but if there's still acorns around like they're probably going to be more concentrated even yet on that mm-hmm. and versus early season where there might just be acorns on every inch of the hillside it yeah. could be a little harder to pinpoint and that could be the time to really be moving more mm-hmm. whereas you get into that time when you were hunting Georgia yep and if you realize that trend quickly be like all right now we're just going to hone on that
0: solely Mm -hmm. until it either works or
2: here's an additional
0: thing that (laughs) (laughs) here's an additional thing that like you guys might find interesting that maybe doesn't have as much to do with food sources but like kind of big picture thing Mm -hmm. that we learned and having more time to reflect on it i feel like keith and i both feel that this is a major takeaway because we are focusing so much on the top we were just generalizing a little too much of where they could be bedding. So we were like, okay, on out on the point. Same stuff that we see when we're hunting in different areas that are similar or turkey hunting in areas that are similar and we're noticing the deer sign. It's like a lot of times you see them out on that flat part of the finger, kind of on the knob on the secondary ridge. Well, to take that a step further though, on that last day, we learned that they weren't just bedding on that Spe- s- more specifically, though, they were betting on the shaded side in the uh, rhododendron and the mountain laurel. Mm-hmm. So you'd get on a hillside. And if you look at the, and again, I did this all after the fact and was like re- reviewing the hunt, I suppose. And I started going back and looking at all different types of imagery. And I found this picture where you could see that every single, I guess it would have been north facing part of that finger ridge mm-hmm. had that cover in it. So now you can take that a step further and say, okay, if they're feeding just up the hill, maybe even 50 yards, then you can just fine-tune your setup a little bit more because you know they're bedding more often down in that shaded side of mm-hmm. things. That's where the, you'd get down there, and, yeah, there were beds up on the top, but you'd get down in that rhododendron and mountain Moral where there's the security cover that they want. Mm-hmm. <sighs> And you can't see into that stuff, man. Like, one thing that I feel simplified things for me is if I can't shoot a gun through there, that's probably a dang good chance that, or there's probably a dang good chance a deer are using that as cover. Mm, And in that stuff, you, I mean, you could shoot a gun through it if you're in there with them, but you can't, like, shoot a hundred yards across across the valley. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That is so true, Ben. (laughs) Um You ever seen that clip? Ben just absolutely obliterating mountain laurel and the turkey (laughs) flying away. I don't know. Oh, it's so funny. Luckily, you got one the day before, though, so it all ended up being okay. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. That was just another little fine-tuned thing where maybe if you're noticing that specific sign, you can, again, just barely manipulate that setup. Maybe you come in on the south side of that ridge up that drainage pop up on top into your setup expecting the deer to just be right over here you know 50 to 100 yards away over the little finger ridge Mm -hmm. and again just trying to manipulate that wind and that thermal play to the best of your abilities and i mean it's probably worth a shot yeah cool i think we should wrap up man (laughs) It's Not almost like we're in higher elevation because I'm having a hard time breathing. Because I'm talking. <laughs> that is probably that just talking too yeah, much. Yeah. It could just keep the, uh, <laughs> you're just on a roll. Yeah, yeah, Zach, you are just talking too much. <laughs> yeah, that's a insufferable. <laughs> <laughs>
2: All
0: well, right, did guys. you ever think
1: about the fact that you could just be insufferable? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hopefully, this podcast wasn't too insufferable for y'all. Hopefully, you can you know use something to your advantage this season that we talked about and. You know, if there's anything else you'd like us to elaborate on that was more specific within, as always, feel free free to let us know. Because how we plan these a lot of times is like, what should we talk about? Yeah. And then we pick something and start talking about it. So if you guys have requests, please send them over. We, we really appreciate it. it. Makes makes planning these things Maybe we should try to easier. revisit,
2: like, in-season back on this topic at yeah, some point.
0: I think it would be good. And just... Well time, I'm not gonna talk way. to you all season, so well, that's once Ling's right. over, it. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> once we're done elk hunting, dude, I'm not talking to you again <laughs> the rest of the season. <laughs> all right guys. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Catch you later.